Hi, my name is Angela Winner, and I'm a PME instructor for the United States Air Force. And I'm also a guest on season one, episode four of Rise of the Shadows. And you are listening to the Shadows podcast. Hey, Shadows listeners. If you're looking to make some extra income that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with Giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. I got certified through Giant in 2018, and I've been teaching ever since. Just to give you some context, they used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek, just to name a few, were regular speakers. They have over 500 coaches worldwide, working in over 127 countries, and are being hired by companies like Google, Chick-fil-A, Pfizer, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. I know this might sound intimidating, but Giant will literally give you everything you need to start your own coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using. You get an all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business, even if you want to work 100% remotely. And you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from all around the world. To get started, Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business. This is both for experienced coaches, consultants, and those who are looking to start coaching and consulting with little to no experience. If you want to hear the really good news, this whole workshop, it's free, 100% free. And you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv forward slash shadows. Why not give it a shot? What's better than making a positive change in people's lives and making some extra money in the process? Giant launches a new hiring cohort every month. Now, they only have 20 coaching slots available each month. So it's first come, first serve. So go ahead and make sure you reserve your spot. If you're ready to make an impact and get paid doing it, go to giant.tv forward slash shadows, giant.tv forward slash shadows. I want to welcome everybody to yet another episode of The Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Bodenheimer, and I'm excited today to be joined by Kristen Joy. She's an actress. She is currently helping women be full of themselves, creator of, I'm going to struggle with this, voluptuous life. Did I say that right? Perfect. Perfect. We'll, we'll, we'll peel back the layer on that one a little bit in just, <laughs> just a moment. Dedicated to abundant health and happiness for all throughout conscious living. Ma'am, thank you very much for being a guest here on the Shadows Podcast. Thank you for having me. And I love that you just called me ma'am because I'm in the South right now and I'm getting used to that. Yeah, and tell our listeners where you're currently at. I am currently in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Chattanooga, Tennessee. I still have not been there yet. It's magical. I got to tell you, I love it here. Last time we were talking, where were you? You had like a really nice setup. You were like outside. Oh, last time I was in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I was like, I swear there was like palm trees or something. (laughs) Like it was really, really nice when we were having a conversation last time. Uh, 
so we were working right before we hit record. You were being my, basically like my speech coach. Voluptuous. Did I say it right the second time? Wow, you are so good. I'm on a roll now. Uh, (laughs) Tell tell our listeners why I've struggled with that, that word so much. You know, so I said most people struggle with it, and I'm not exactly sure why, right? Like everyone seems to put like an M in there and say, well, I I don't want to say it wrong again, because then I'm going to trick your brain into saying it wrong again. (laughs) But that's (laughs) how I was saying it to you earlier. Right. Cover your ears when I say this. But most people say voluptuous, and there's no M in there. So it's just voluptuous. It should just roll off your tongue feel full in your mouth and then just leave your mouth without an M. Yeah, I was overthinking it, I think. <laughs> All right. So before we start getting into your story, uh, we're going to throw some of the rapid fire questions at you. And I haven't told you any of these. First, what gives your life meaning? <sighs> Let me repeat it. What gives my life meaning? I think for me, I have to feel like I am being authentic to who I am as I continue to figure out who I am. And that also needs to look like I am putting some good out into the world. So I need to be serving, but I also want to be enjoying my life at the same time. So for me, those two pieces go hand in hand. Okay. That's a really good answer. What is an area of your life that you're never satisfied with? (laughs) Wait, how long did you say we had for this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I am a little bit of a perfectionist. So I started to refer to myself as instead of a type A personality, I started saying I'm type lowercase a minus. So, you know, I'm not as like meticulous, I think, or critical as I used to be about myself, but I definitely always think I could have done a better job. And that pretty much goes with everything that I do. So I still enjoy my life experience, but in the moments after something has happened, I always think like, oh, maybe I could have, you know, X, Y, Z. Yeah. Okay. So hindsight type thing. Yeah, I think when I'm in it, it feels good. And then I think maybe that voice, you know, that, yeah, I don't know if you know about that voice that lives in the head sometimes that can be a little negative and critical, that voice. And maybe the voice is helpful. You know, maybe it's like, oh, here's some notes for next time. But sometimes it doesn't feel like that. What advice would you have given yourself 10 years ago? 10 years ago. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm going to think back to how, how old I would have been 10 years ago. Um, I think I would give myself this advice maybe at any age and it would be have more fun because there's an importance, I think, to, you know, how I, like I said, how I try to show up in the world. And sometimes I think like, But if I'm just focused on having fun, then the essence and the joy of who I really am comes through and I don't have to worry about all that other stuff. Okay. Final question. You could have dinner with three people. Family members are not included. Oh, thank goodness, because I would have insulted some of my family. (laughs) (laughs) But to add a little twist to it, three people who are no longer with us anymore. Okay. Who would you pick? 
Okay, you said people, right? Mm-hmm. They can so be they historical have to be, figures. But they have to be humans. Yes. Okay. <laughs> now I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk more about that. Okay, so three historical people. They're no longer with us. Ooh, this one I'm really going to have to think about. Okay, no, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to have the first things that come to my mind. So there Abe Lincoln, Abe, honest Abe popped into my head. Okay. Um, I think he was like a huge, like, like in stature, a very tall man, right? Mm-hmm. So that in and of itself would be fun to be around somebody because I'm like so little that I would have been like probably just gaping at him in his, you know, in his stature. Um, but seemingly so groundbreaking and like open hearted and, you know, on the right side of history. Right. So he would be fun to have around. Um, then... Who isn't with us that, okay, so the next person that came to mind is Mother Teresa, because I need to have a woman at the table. She always gets invited every time I ask this. Good. So I need to have a woman at the table besides me, clearly. Um, I feel like just to bask in her, even if she didn't say anything, to bask in like her love, you know, and just that like the wisdom that probably just seeps out of her would be life-changing okay and then I need somebody who's who's gonna have some witty banter with me and I don't know if if mother t and uh honest Abe can roll he might though I've heard he had a good sense of humor did he okay yeah all right hmm now I like him even more (laughs) not sure about her though right knowing her I mean she probably had a little a little wit going on um Okay, what's a good third person? Um, not family. Oh, okay. So let's think about somebody who passed away recently. Um, I'll do, it's not too recent, but let's do Prince. Because mm. how crazy of an eclectic bunch is that? <laughs> <laughs> what do they have in common? Right? And he, so, he was so... Um, I mean, he could play most instruments, right? Mm -hmm. And like his voice was an amazing instrument. His body was an amazing instrument. I mean, that would be some dinner party. Yeah. Interesting fact. My wife, she said that uh, she's always told me that her mom used to babysit Prince when he was a baby. Yeah. Pretty, pretty cool. I told my daughters that and they're like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you don't understand how cool that is. That is so cool. And also, I feel like she could just get rich and famous off of that fact. Like, do you just want your long. children to turn out as good as Prince did? <laughs> what a good, like, uh, yeah, what good marketing for like a babysitting <laughs> company or something. Yeah. Right. Thank you. You survived our rapid fire questions. Now, that was fun. Yeah, it was. That was pretty good. That was probably one of the most interesting dinner for threes that I've, that I've heard. <laughs> um, just imagine that group together. Now, tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us about, we'll start off with your childhood and upbringing. It was in New Jersey, correct? It was in Bruce Springsteen's hometown of, and I always leave a dramatic pause because people then always like to jump in and look at me like, I don't know who the heck Bruce Springsteen is, you know, for the young people. The boss. (laughs) The boss. Or they like to jump in and say Asbury Park, which is incorrect. I was actually going to say Asbury Park. Yes. (laughs) So it's Freehold, Freehold, New Jersey. Only also famous for, um, I think, the mall, which is where I had my first job as a cinnamon roll baker. 
Really? <laughs> Cinnabon? No, it was called Cindy Cinnamon Rolls. And I don't know if they're still around. I know they're not at the mall anymore, but they were like a Syracuse yeah. Um, company. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up, you were making cinnamon rolls there. <laughs> and then you went to college in California, correct? I did. So, so how in the I world had... did you end up from Jersey to California? Yeah, great question. So I had spent a lot of family vacations in California. So um, my I am one of three kids and then my two parents. So we would take trips to probably all over California. The ones, the areas I remember most would be like the LA area, I guess, yeah. but we definitely went all over. And I think I, number one, fell in love with California because it's just gorgeous. It's the best, I think the best of everything that like nature and the weather has to offer. Mm -hmm. um, now as an adult, I also love just how like healthy and open-minded, you know, certain parts of California are, mm -hmm. but, as I looked back on some of the decisions I've made in my life, I realized that a big part of why I decided to go to California was because it was far away. So it's not to say that there was anything like traumatic or troublesome in my childhood. It was very like beautiful and safe, but I did feel like my spirit and my personality wanted to be freer than the spirit and personality maybe personalities of my parents, mm -hmm. they were a little more, um, I think they have more fear and um, more, they want more structure. And I wanted to just be free and go and do and have my own opinions and make my own choices. So I think, yeah, behind the scenes, it was like, oh, California is really far away and I'm going to be free. <laughs> and you were what, 18 when you decided to make that move? Yes. Yeah, I How'd think 17. Feel? Yeah. How'd that um, feel, 17, 18? It felt great. Like, I think at that point in my life, although I imagine in high school, I was probably like, you know, a typical, I don't know if it's typical, but like one of those high schoolers that like has a lot of self-doubt and, you know, uncertainty. But I think that at that point when I was making that decision, I didn't realize like, when you, when I went to California, that it would really split my life in half, that mm -hmm. I would have like, you know, not see my family and friends for a long time. I was actually even dating someone um, that I was leaving behind. So I didn't realize how it would be difficult because I would have two sort of separate lives. Um, but I think I was just excited because nobody else was doing it. I tend to be the kind of person who likes to be different. So, you know, people chose the same, same-ish similar schools. And I was like, I'm going to California. <laughs> did you go to Berkeley or where did you go to school there? I went to UC Santa Barbara. UC Santa Barbara. Yeah. Gauchos. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. UC Santa Barbara Gauchos. Okay. What was the biggest thing you learned about yourself when you were in college? I'd say, I don't know if this is the biggest thing, but it's one thing that just came to me right now. So I, when I was in high school, I did really well in high school. So I, you know, straight A's, I was in the AP classes, like things came pretty easily to me. So I think that I thought I was like really smart. <laughs> Not that I like spent time thinking about it, but I just think that it was like, oh, I'm smart, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I went to a pre-med program at UCSB and I was like, oh, I'm not really that smart. <laughs> it was really challenging. 
So I, at that point was like, okay, so this isn't fun anymore. And um, it's time for me to make some decisions that, you know, continue to feel in, in alignment with what feels good and right for my current path. So you mentioned you were starting off pre-med when you decided to make that change. Cause that's, that's hard for a lot of people. I had to do the same thing. I was in college and I decided to go from one career to the other. What was that next option for you? Meaning if I wasn't going to be a doctor, what would I do? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really think it through. It's interesting. Like when I, when I thought about, when I think about the process of being in college and sort of getting out of college, I, a little backstory, my dad thought we were going to be paying the in-state tuition fees for college. Mm. So when I went to look at it and I had been offered like some scholarships to some schools. So I think my dad had been hoping, you know, she's going to go to a school with a scholarship, you know? Um, So when I went to look at Santa Barbara, I fell in love with it and it wasn't on my radar. A friend had said, I I thought I would go to UCLA just because of the reputation. And a friend of mine had said, you have to see Santa Barbara. It's like right on the beach. It's beautiful, you know? So I went and I saw it and I think like, my eyes lit up in a way that my dad was like, oh, you know, so yes, but right. Exactly. (laughs) He was thinking, well, at least we're paying in-state tuition fees and then come, come to find out like, oh no, we were looking at the wrong numbers, you know? So I think in the back of my mind, I always had this like I don't know if it was guilt. It was more of like respect for the money that my dad was spending. So Mm -hmm. when I decided that I was going to change my major, I was like, what can I do that will get me out on time? So I'm not going to continue to spend more of his money. Um, And also that I enjoy and I will, you know, hopefully pass the classes. Right. So I think that's really what happened is I I ended up getting my degree in biopsychology, not really knowing what I was going to do with it. And then how did acting become a thing for you? Yeah. So it's right at this time. So I think I was, maybe I was a senior, a girlfriend of mine was a talented actress. She was, I believe, more of a a stage actress, but Mm -hmm. she had heard on the radio that there was like this like top LA manager coming to town, you know, and she wanted to go and like audition for him. So she said, do you want to come with me? You know, and I think I had had fun, like doing some acting, like growing up and I used to like read books and like do different voices for all the books, you know, like that was always fun to me, but I don't think I ever thought I would actually be an actress. But when she said that, I'm not sure if I was like, Ooh, you know, cool. Maybe I'll be an actress. Or if it was just like, all right, I'll come along. I honestly don't remember, you know? Um, And I auditioned for him and I was wearing like the tightest, tiniest, like skimpiest outfit, which like being the the feminist that I am today, I would probably look back on that girl and be like, honey, (laughs) you don't have to show it all, you know, but the reason why I bring that up is because I was so nervous, like, and when I get nervous, there's like no hiding it physically. Like I can hide it like with my personality, like that's all good. But like, I get the worst hives on my chest. If if you could see my chest now, I probably would have them. That's just like how I am, you know? In the shadows podcast, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
so he saw, so without me knowing, I think this is when I first realized that I, you know, had hives when I got nervous without me realizing it, I finished my audition and he was like, are you nervous? And I was like, no. And he's like, really? <laughs> because you should see your chest. And I looked down and I was like, so red and blotchy, you know? Oh um, anyway, so to make a long story short, I don't think I had a lot of talent. Maybe it was like innate talent, you know, and just that I was having fun and I didn't know any better, but I certainly wasn't studied as an actor. And my friend was studied as an actress and he ended up not wanting to represent her and wanting to represent me. And it was a little bittersweet, obviously, because she really cared, but it was really because he picked me because of my look and didn't pick her because of her look, which is just kind of BS, but it's also like the way the industry works or worked, especially at that time, or for what he was looking for specifically, you know? Yeah. So he basically was like, I'll take you on. Do you want to, do you want to try it? And I was like, well, this is kind of perfect timing. My boyfriend at the time lived in LA and I didn't know what I was going to do for a living. So I was like, I'll move to LA. I'll try my hand at it. We'll see what happens. What's the worst audition? experience you've ever had? So I am blessed with a memory that doesn't necessarily work so well, especially for the negative things. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times I have a hard time remembering. Um, but let me think. Uh, I do remember, so I consider myself like that I have a good sense of humor, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't at the time, and maybe I'm not even still good at it, who even knows, don't necessarily know how to like, or didn't at the time know how to deliver the, the script as it was written with the kind of humor that it had written into it. I think I didn't understand it. So I remember, you know, again, I talked about how nervous I was and my manager had said to me, here's a trick, like just have a glass of wine before you audition. Like it'll just calm your nerves, you know? And I was like, all right, great. I'll try it. That doesn't help. That doesn't help me to like feel more comfortable, you know, like, but anyway, I tried it and um, went into the audition and delivered it as I thought it should have been delivered. And I don't remember exactly what this, the casting director or the director or producer, whoever he was, whatever he said, but he was like, you do realize that there's humor in this piece, right? And I was like, oh, wow. And it's like, when you get a comment like that, it's like, yeah. that's not going to inspire me to all of a sudden, like, be good and like, yeah. be funny. <laughs> Start giggling. Yeah. But it was one of my first auditions. And I feel like it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, man, this isn't necessarily going to be fun the whole time or easy the whole time. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, especially on the outside looking in, probably imagine being an actress or an actor and like, oh, it's glamorous. It's probably this this amazing life. Before we get into your actual acting career, what were some of the highs and lows uh, that you've experienced throughout your journey? As an actor. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Let's see. I guess the highs and lows are probably tied together, um, but we'll see as I talk about it, how it unfolds. Um, there's a, I was up for a lot of things. Um, a lot of things that wouldn't necessarily have like made me a big star, although you never know what the trajectory would have been, but things that would have changed the course of, mm -hmm. you know, so every time I would be up for something, I would 
again, be very, very nervous, you know, be like my, my own worst enemy in terms of like being able to, to calm my nerves around things. Um, get either get a call back or not, you know, in the point in the time after leaving an audition, they always say for many actors, it's like the rear view mirror. Um, when you're looking at yourself in the rear view mirror, as you're leaving the casting office yeah. that you like give your best read, you know? So for me, it would be like, that would be the time where I would start to second guess, like, how was it? How did I do? Oh, I should have done this, whatever. So you would never necessarily know if you did a good job. Casting directors sometimes would say great job whether they meant it or not or they wouldn't say anything at all so i would leave just sort of never knowing so it would be like the high of getting the audition the nervousness around the audition the performance leaving the room not knowing how they felt about it you know the the beating myself up around it you know yeah. the waiting you know you never know when you're going to hear you know and then finding out either you never hear which is just like okay at some point i guess i give up right yeah um or then you hear so then and you hear you get a call back and you're like oh oh my gosh okay great they did like me you know um for me that would also be like oh maybe i fooled them enough into thinking that i was good <laughs> enough and now i'm in trouble because usually for callbacks you have to have there's more people in the room so it's usually right. instead of just the casting director it's now like the writers the producer depending on how big the project is so there's a lot more i mean it's just for me it was a lot more nerves you know mm -hmm. So going back into the room and again, not knowing who's going to be there. So you walk into a room and now there's 15 people just sitting there like I in judgment. Three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so then that, and then there had been roles, like I was up for a part on a soap and when you are up for a part, they have you sign the actual contract. Um, so when you sign the contract, you have to agree, here's the amount of money I'm going to be making. Here's the amount of time I'm locked in for. This particular one was shooting in New York City and I was living in LA at the time. So I had to like mentally prepare to move to New York City. So do I want to, you know, I, I'm from the East Coast. It'll be nice to be with my family, but I love my life here. You go through this whole thing, you know, um, audition, you're on set for the screen test, you're working with the real actor, um, you know, you're going through all the motions. And again, like afterwards, it's a whirlwind. I don't remember what I've said, how I did, how it went, you know, yeah. um, and then the waiting again, and then come to find out, like, I don't get it. And now I'm now I'm like excited about living in New York. And I'm like, man, you know, <laughs> And it's like that, I feel for me, it was like for every role, that was the journey, you know? Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Talk to us about your experience with Buffy. Buffy was fun. Buffy was, um, and it's interesting because, and I don't know if this is, makes its way into a conversation, but that there has been some controversy around um, Buffy these days because of some of the behavior of mm -hmm. um, Joss, but so putting that aside, this is before knowing any of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it was one of my biggest, earliest auditions. And when I went in to read, I actually read with him, for him and the casting director, um, not really knowing who he was at the time. Um, so I, there was just the regular nerves. There wasn't like extra nerves around it. But so I read with, for him and 
actually, I think I remember leaving there feeling really good about the audition and then finding out that I had booked it. And then my manager had said to me, but there's a problem. The problem is that they thought you were in the union already and you're not. So they can only hire union actors for the job. So they said what they're going to what they're going to try to do is Taft Hartley you, which is a way of like getting me into the union so that I can work this job. Mm. So my experience, I think, was so much easier than most people's. It was like I auditioned for something that was probably too big for me because it was a union job and then ended up just getting invited into the union right because of that job which was really cool. So I was like, oh, this, this industry is easy. I don't know what everybody's talking yeah. about. <laughs> That's like the, the athlete that wins like the Super Bowl their first year. And they're like, this is easy. It's going to be like this every year. Yeah, exactly. Well, talk to us about your latest job, uh, Wives with Knives. Yeah. said it was a week of very intense filming. It sure was. And it's interesting because so I had left L.A. um, thinking that like acting is sort of something I'm just kind of doing on the side because I wasn't so committed to like my whole life being around it because it was so many ups and downs and so many things were not in my control. So when I ended up moving back to the West Coast, I think I went L.A., East Coast and then East Coast to Northern California, Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, there's actually a small acting market there. So maybe I'll get back into the industry. So because of the agent that I got there, I was able to audition for this role. And um, I auditioned for this particular show so many times, like not this particular episode, but the show. Um, I probably went into the casting director like five times and I don't think I was even getting callbacks. I think I would have a first call and then hear nothing and then another first call. And I kept thinking like, do they like me or do they not like me? Because like, I'm not getting further, but yet they keep calling me back. Right. Right. So finally, the last time I went in to read with her, she was like, just so you know, um, they really like you. So we're trying, they're trying to find a role that works for you. And I was like, that's so good to know because it helps to quiet some of the like negative voices in my head, right? Although, can I do a quick side note around this? Absolutely. Remind me to come back to where we're going. Yep, absolutely. But do you remember the Power Rangers? I do. Okay. So I was up for the role of the pink Power Ranger. This is so long ago. Yeah. So when I auditioned for that role, I was just terrible. I was a terrible actor. Like I didn't even know how to engage with the other person in the room in like a way that seemed like we were human beings having a conversation. Right. Like this is let me, of course, this is my take on it, whatever. But so um, but I was auditioning for Saban himself, who was like, you know, the guy. So the casting director pulled me aside after I had done that read. And it was, it was me and the other actor who was being um, up, was up for the role of one of the other, you know, color Rangers. So um, she said to me, Kristen, they really, he really likes you. They really like you. And she was telling me this in a way to like, help me to calm down. And all that did for me was like, make me way more nervous. So like, 
I'm sure I gave an even worse read the second time. Anyway, so coming back to Wise with Knives, when this casting director, because now I'm older and wiser and I have more experience and I have more confidence, when she said this to me, it, it helped because I was like, oh, okay, it makes sense why I haven't booked, but why they keep calling me back. So I think I did feel a lot more comfortable. Um, but it's really challenging material because they're real life stories of, um, well, this one was a real life story of a woman who had been in a, an abusive relationship for a really long time. So it was a lot of physical abuse, verbal abuse. Um, she is also turns to drugs and alcohol. So it's a lot of me bringing up stuff that isn't necessarily at the forefront of my personality or my experience. So it was a lot of like having to like summon that and kind of live in that world for an entire week. How tough is that on your body, like mentally, physically? I think so physically, I I said to the to the actor who was playing my husband, I was like, I actually need you to like toss me around a little bit because I need to feel, I guess it's more of like method acting. I need mm -hmm. to like be engaged at more at a deeper level. So he would you know, sort of reluctantly and probably like a little bit fearfully, like kind of try to like toss me around a little bit so that I can sign really... this, please. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But it's funny because I had to um, I'm not going to I'm not giving anything away because I don't know how many people are actually going to go watch the watch the episode. Maybe they will. It was called yeah. the 26 year war. You can Google it. Okay. Um, but so she ends up stabbing him. Um, and maybe that's all I'll say about it, but we had to do multiple takes with, with me stabbing him mm. and you use, you know, props at sometimes you use a real knife and at sometimes you use a prop. And so, because I think I'm more method, I really needed to like throw my like effort into like stabbing him. So the first couple of times it was like, okay, you know, and then he's, the actor was like, I think I'm actually starting to get like bruises. And, you know, like I, it hurts and like I can't keep doing multiple takes like this. So that we ended up having to like tape cardboard to his chest and like try to pad him up as much as possible so that I could keep giving my full um, performance without like really hurting him. Wow. So it was tougher on his body than mine, for sure, because I saw his bruises and they were they were real. OK, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get a link for that and uh, <laughs> definitely have that on here. And so after, um, well, I'm, I'm assuming it was, uh, it's, it's definitely been in between your, your journey of acting, but talk to us about your experience you had in India. Yes. I was wondering if I, if you were going to bring that up and I was like, oh, maybe I should have reminded him about India because it was so, such a special time. Do in my, my research life. here. I do my research. Yes, you do. Good job. So India uh, some people say that if you go to India, it's not necessarily for the reason you think which I love because I do think that there is a soul pull that takes people there, whether they realize it or not. And I think the beauty of, of going to India is giving yourself a moment to be like, is there a bigger reason for why I'm here? For me, it was a spiritual journey, but I'm speaking to people who like think they're going there on a business trip. I encourage you to think uh, maybe not think, sink into the heart and to the soul and, and wonder, be curious if maybe there's another reason you're going there mm. because it really is like the birthplace of spirituality, you know? Yeah. So I went there because 
to make a long story short, I was in a period of like intense heartbreak, which is often what cracks people open to spirituality and, and personal growth, right? And I had met a woman who had studied with um, this guru in India. And she had heard about, because because we actually, we worked together. She was hired to be my assistant at a, at a really negative job. Another story for another time. So it was like a magical meeting though. Like if I wasn't in this job, I wouldn't have met her. So she heard about my story. She said, you know, for, for a real deep healing, there's a meditation practice that you could do. And I had never meditated before. Um, but I always knew growing up that there was more depth to my relationship with God or spirituality or, or whatever you want to call like the magical powers that be. Mm -hmm. I always knew there was something more than what I learned in like CCD or like I went to Catholic high school. So I was curious to try these ancient practices and I went from never having meditated ever to meditating an hour a day for 101 days in a row. Wow. And things shifted. Yeah. So next thing I knew, she was like, well, next step is, you know, you go to India and you go to the ashram and you like, you know, work with the guru and all that. And so I was like, and off we go. So another lifestyle change that you have that I, I really respect, and it's something that I am currently trying to work on as well, along with the meditation piece, is I just watched a documentary not too long ago called Game Changers. I'm not sure if you've seen it on Netflix. Yeah. It's really good. It. And I think you know where this question's going. So talk to us about uh, a vegan lifestyle, like living that vegan lifestyle and what it's done for you and your body. Um, so to be clear, I'm not vegan. I just make lots of vegan choices, but mm -hmm. I have been vegetarian for going on 13 years now. Okay. So it's a, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the becoming vegetarian at the moment that I became vegetarian was sort of forced upon me and, um, it's cut to it's the best decision one of the best decisions I've ever made to be healthy to live in alignment with my morals and values to have such beautiful relationships with animals um, like all the magic happens I think when you live in alignment with you know what you think is right mm -hmm. um, but so what happened was I was with my guru um, during a, a program, or, or actually I was traveling to meet my guru and all of the students. And um, I was flat out a, an animal eater, a meat eater at that time. I had actually been working with a nutritionist who was helping me get over some allergies. And he had me having lots of protein, but clean protein, like all organic. I was already eating organic at this point. Um, yeah but, um, but still eating, you know, animals at the time. And I went to, uh, California to go to this program and I knew that there was an in and out burger. Do you know in and out burger? Yeah, I know. Very, <laughs> you've, you've been in California. I know all about in and out. Yes. So I knew of in and out burger and I think I'd had it once or twice, but because it was so rare back then, I was like, Ooh, when I go to California and I drive to this ashram, I'm going to go to in and out burger. So I end Typical up as, tourist. <laughs> yes, as luck would have it, I get paired up with a woman to, to drive up to the ashram together. I think it was like a 
two or three hour drive who's vegetarian. And out of respect for her, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to go to In-N-Out. I'm going to go somewhere where there's vegetarian food. And on the way back from the ashram, I'm not going to be driving her. I'm going to In-N-Out. So we go to the ashram and we get, we have a beautiful program and my guru teaches us this ancient Vedic process, super powerful process. And part of the diksha, which is like the rules around like um, getting the energy of the process to where it needs to be is that I had to be what's called sattvic, um, which is basically vegetarian, but it's a, a pure way of, of eating for, I think it was three months. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what about in and out, you know? Did you and a then, favor, trust me. <laughs> uh, yes, no, I know that. Um, but I did think like, well, what am I going to eat? Because the nutritionist had me eating a certain way. So I started to think like, well, what am I going to be able to eat that's still in alignment with what he thinks I need to heal my body, et cetera, et cetera. So um, anyway, I, for three months, didn't necessarily feel great for the first um probably month and a half and in my mind I was like see I'm one of those people that has to eat meat you know what it, what it probably turned out to be was I was detoxing right from like eating all the garbage that I had been eating yeah. um for a whole lifetime not to say that I grew up on garbage my mom made beautiful home-cooked meals but we just don't we're not aware of all the toxins and the chemicals and the pharmaceuticals and yeah. all of the things that are in our food. Right. So I think I was detoxing and also not knowing how to get what I needed nutritionally in a diet that I was not sure how to um, make it work, you know? Yeah. So yeah, three months of, I don't know if this is going to work to all of a sudden, like, I feel great. I never get sick. I, this is like, probably the best I felt in my entire life. And then I watched some of those um, kinds of documentaries. And at that point, I think my relationship to animals changed. I always thought I was an animal lover. And I realized like, there's no way I could say I love animals and eat them, right? And like, why do I love one kind of animal but eat another? Um, I started to just see meat as what it is, which is like literally the body parts of animals. And I have not gone back. So I never got that closer burger. I never got that closer steak. You know, I just never looked back. I'm not an in and out. I'm a Whataburger guy. So <laughs> I can, you are, you are fine with that. But no, it's interesting because that documentary was talking about how, you know, even doing research on the skeletal remains of cavemen, they ate plant-based diets they, they weren't eating animals. Like we, it's just, I think it was like in the, you know, early 1900s is when that really became like a, a big thing. But speaking well, of animals. It was animals, a sign of the wealthy, right? If you could afford to eat mm -hmm. animals, it was a, a sign, sign of, of the wealthy. Yeah. Yep. And then it, then it became like a, a machismo thing. It became, you know, like a marketing, like cigarettes was, you know, Babe Ruth smokes, but he, he died of cancer throat cancer, I believe it was, but then it, they started replacing cigarettes with marketing with burgers to where like the dripping burger from Hardee's on the commercial. And it just became like a sign of you're, you're a man if you do this. And if you're a vegan or, a, you know, uh, live a vegetarian lifestyle or anything, you're, you're viewed uh, more of a wimp. So it, yeah. it's been more of a marketing thing, but uh Perfect transition here because you were just talking about animals. So you volunteer at a rescue, rehab, and release 
facility for wildlife. Uh, I thought this was pretty interesting, raccoon foster care team. So tell us about uh, your work with wildlife and specifically the raccoons. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I am madly in love with raccoons. <laughs> And I didn't know. I didn't know until I started working with them how magical they were. But I had a cat for 21 years and my cat was a Himalayan. Um, I don't know if at this point, if I would, I, I probably would adopt, not shop. But I was obsessed with the way this cat looked because yeah. I don't know if you know what they look like. But big, round, blue eyes mm -hmm. and just fluffy and just, oh, they're like a pile of loving mush. So, <laughs> I, so there's something about that look that I like. And so I think that Gizmo, my cat, looks Sim looked similar to like raccoons, right? So I think that like raccoons have always been so cute to me. Um, I wanted to, I always want to do some sort of volunteering and giving back. Um, my dad had been in hospice at some point. So I had, after he passed, become a hospice volunteer. Um, after that, I wanted something that I think felt lighter maybe, mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, you know, what can I do? And then I think I saw at the back of a magazine that you, you could volunteer for a local, um, this local facility in the town that I was in. So I went to the training and I started just volunteering in the clinic. And the clinic is basically, they rescue, rehab and release any animals that are um, smaller than deer, I think is, is too big for them, but that have been negatively affected by humans. So hit by cars, poison, trapped, all of those kinds of things. Um, so I would be in the hospital working with all of these different animals. And then um, I was introduced to the idea that I could be on the foster care team for uh, raccoons, or there's a bunch of animals you could do it for, but they specifically said raccoons. And basically what that entails is a lot of times, um, humans either knowingly or unknowingly relocate a raccoon that they find in the house or maybe another wild animal that they, they find in the house. And so they move it to a different location, which is illegal, but it's also terrible because what ends up happening is if you move a mom, you don't know that she's got babies and now you're leaving all of these babies behind. So not only is the animal mom like heartbroken, mm -hmm. the babies are now scared starving to death, you know? So what, um, so what wild care does is they take in the orphans. And so if you're on the team, you then are trained to be able to like bottle feed them, you know, do all the things that their mom would do without being equipped with raccoon nipples, yeah. um, to try to get them to a place where they're stable and then retrain them into understanding they're a wild animal and they should not be friends with humans. And then we end up releasing them back into the area where they came from. That's pretty cool. I know my, um, my mom, her neighbors, uh, she lives in Sumter, South Carolina, but her neighbors, um, she works with raccoons. So I, I saw that and I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting because I always hear, you know, my mom talking about her neighbor, and, um, her dealings with the raccoons and stuff. They are so and, sweet. Can I just do a little raccoon plug? Absolutely. Because absolutely. people think they're just trash pandas and that like they get Great annoyed outdoors. when they're, yeah, they get annoyed when their garbage is like torn up by these guys, whatever. Um, but they are, I think they're like a cross between a wild animal, which obviously they are like, and a puppy because they are so sweet and so smart. So when I'm raising them, they basically think that I'm their mom, you know, until the yeah. point where we have to tell them humans are not 
you know, your, your yeah. friends, your family, but like, oh my goodness, like my heart just swells with how adorable and sweet and smart and playful and just like, they're just amazing animals. That is awesome though. That is a, uh, that's pretty cool. I, I would like to interact with a raccoon. I think that would be pretty cool. Like you said, they get the bad rap because I think it was great outdoors with Dan Aykroyd and yeah. John Candy where they were going through the trash. Yep. And adults so, are, adults are, you know, they're well-equipped to do some harm. They've got teeth and nails. So it's like, you don't really want to be hanging out with an adult raccoon, like high five. So is that kind of how it is? Like the infant <laughs> stage is probably the best time to interact with them and they get to a certain age and it's like, okay, you're off. Yeah. Well, I should say that people shouldn't, you know, the average person should not interact with wildlife. I have to, yeah. I have to say that as a responsible, you know, volunteer. Um, but I think just when animals are babies, that's when they are, you know, they're not going to tear you apart the way like an adult wild animal will. So note to our listeners, don't just go out in the woods looking for raccoons and and try to go like, come here, come here. Like, uh, what was it? <laughs> elf. He did that in the elf. So last thing to, to talk about here, <clears throat> voluptuous. Nope. I messed it up that time. <laughs> so yeah, go ahead and uh, tell our listeners about the work you're doing there. With voluptuous life. There you go. Yes. So I have this fire in my heart and in my spirit about, I think, giving voice to those who are worthy of it, but don't have it um, as they should. Right. So there's a lot of people in our society. There's a lot of beings in our society that don't have the respect and um their rightful place, I think. So I have always had this thing about not understanding why women are not equal, right? And of course now not understanding how um, animals could be treated so cruelly, but with voluptuous life, it was really about like lifting women, helping women to get quiet and clear and centered, giving themselves priority because so often they don't, to listen to what it is they really want, who they really are, um, and just basically giving them the tools, helping them to create rituals um, for a healthier body, heart, mind, and spirit. So it's about living in alignment with your morals and values, finding joy, stepping into your power, and just supporting other women. And if our listeners want to find out more about that, where can you point them to? Well, they're going to have to learn how to spell voluptuous, but then they could go to voluptuous totally life. <laughs> so voluptuouslife.com is the website. Okay. I am on Instagram, uh, voluptuous life as well. Uh, Facebook, a voluptuous life. So I think most of the, those are my three, three ways of finding me. We were talking about a little Kickstarter. There's a Kickstarter going on with, with uh, you right now, right? Well, there's a Kickstarter going on with me by way of my boyfriend, my partner, correct. who yep. is the inventor. Yes. Which has gotten y'all to Chattanooga, correct? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, so he, you know, so COVID hit and, and sort of life changed for people for better or for worse. And, and I like to think a combination for everyone. Right. So he started like a lot of people working from home and home used to be my space. So and as a meditation coach and a woman's coach, I like quiet and I like my own 
space and I like to do things on my own time. So we started working together. So it's now having two people, you know, in the same office. He was on a lot of Zoom calls. He was noticing people forgetting to mute, forgetting to unmute. He was having anxiety, right? He was having anxiety around it himself. He would have multiple windows open on his computer. He wouldn't be able to like unmute fast enough if he was called, you know, to answer. So it was Mm -hmm. creating like a lot of anxiety. And then also I wouldn't know if he was on an important call and I would come in like, hey, what do you want to have for dinner? Found a raccoon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's better. Um, So he, you know, so he came up with the idea of, a physical mute button that lights up so that people around you know whether you're on a call or not, whether your mic is live or not. It also stays in sync with the app you're using so that if you press the button, you're automatically muted on Zoom or you're muted on all the other apps that it supports so that everyone on the meeting also knows that you're muted. So no one's wondering like, was it you that made that noise? You know, is it your family? Is it your- Other than the little mic, just the little mic coming undone. Yes. So this is like a more noticeable and easy to just touch, untouch. And I'm probably not even doing it complete justice, but it's called Mute Sync, M-U-T-E-S-Y-N-C. And they've got some really helpful videos. The Kickstarter is still live. They went way past their initial goal and it's still selling, selling, selling. So um, people can still support the Kickstarter if they want to get a mute button, support a good cause. Yeah, and I can tell you from teaching, oh my gosh, that thing would have been a lifesaver for my last year and a half of <laughs> going through teaching virtual. Yeah, um, exactly. It is super easy for kids to use. Um, I mean, it's really easy for everybody and it it looks cool too. So, And is it compatible with like Teams, Zoom, all those different platforms? Yes. So I don't know specifically which ones, but a lot of them. And again, the website and yeah. the Kickstarter will be clear about that. And they're also the money that they're raising is going into products in the pipeline. So they're going to be able to expand into all the other nice. platforms. Final comments for our listeners. Dun, dun, dun. Final comments. Oh, let, I, let me ask you this. Let me ask yeah. you this. Yeah. I'll, I'll change that question up. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want them to say about you? I would like people to, I don't care if they say it. What I would like people to feel in their hearts is that I was kind, that I was dedicated, um, that when I believe in something, I go for it. And that maybe I told a good joke or two. Kind minus the I need you to stab me with a, a <laughs> propped knife in the chest where I have to put cardboard on. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. Well, I um, appreciate you taking time to do this. Final, you know, plug for where people can find out more about you or any of the amazing things you're doing or plugs, yeah. excuse me. Yeah, voluptuouslife.com. I actually just started, well, I haven't launched it yet, but if anybody hears this ahead of time, they are welcome to go check it out. I'm doing uh, a product to support uh, 
women on their meditation journey, a lot of times women don't know, or people in general don't know how to start. Right. And it's a little overwhelming. And if it doesn't work the way they think it should work, they think they can't meditate. So I put together these little travel altars, which I think are so fun and so beautiful because I'm going to different vintage stores and um, thrift stores. So I'm picking up mindful, gently used containers. Well, that's in the shop. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that people can see a container that they love. Um, a lot of them, like I said, they're vintage. Some mm-hmm. of them are just gently used. And then I fill it after having a call with the women. I fill it with items that are really good for their where they're at on their wellness journey, their spiritual journey. I give them a meditation practice and I sort of take them by the hand very gently to help them ease into a practice with this really beautiful altar that they can get. Nice. Yeah, I've seen those on there. I think you last time I checked, you had like eight of them or something like that. But yeah. it's a work in progress. But yeah, yeah they're, no, they're nice. They're really thank nice. You. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, well, once again, thank you so much for taking time to do this. Um, I, I know uh, the shadows is, is following you on Instagram as well. So anything that you're knocking out, you're doing, uh, we'll be more than welcome to share that on our page as well. But thank you so much for taking time for being here today. Thank you so much. And I will support you as well. We should support each other Um, and anyone listening. I mean, I love to support, you know, I'm all about supporting women. It's not like I'm going to turn down supporting a man, but like if there's any women out there that need some support for what you're doing, you know, let's support each other. This was super fun. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Well, folks, thank you for listening to another episode of the Shadows Podcast.